Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Urantia, interestingly enough, and I'll spell that, U-R-A-N, 
T-I-A, means our planet Earth. So this book is written especially for us on Earth at this time. I'm a longtime member of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, made up of UB readers from New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut, and also other places. And I've been the past president and the outreach chair. I'm now on the outreach committee. Um, and I host a Urantia book study group in Manhattan in the West Village. And that's sponsored by the Urantia Society of Greater New York. And that meets usually the first and third Sundays of each month throughout the entire year from 1 p.m. to 2 o'clock. And that's at the LGBTQ Center located at 208 West 13th Street. Uh, the study group is free of charge, of course, and open to anyone who wants to know more about this amazing book. Uh, we read and then stop and discuss what the Arantia book uh, is saying. And uh, that is a very exciting part of the study group is discussing what we just read and trying to uh, try to find out much more about the meaning of the words here. And it's, that's always a high point of, of the group each week. Now, I say the first and third Sunday, but sometimes the holidays impact upon those times. So uh, I'm going to give a contact number so you can contact me and I'll give you the exact details of the meeting dates because we're hitting the holiday season and some of the dates have been changed. Okay? So that's what we do, and I'm very proud of the group. We've got some wonderful people in it. And after the group, directly after the group, we have the uh, Disclosure Network New York meetings, and it's in the exact same room. So you can come uh, from 1 o'clock uh, to 4 o'clock. You can go to the Disclosure, uh, uh, the um, Urantia book reading first, and then stay for the two-hour amazing programs that the Disclosure Network New York has. And I'll be talking more about that in a little later, bit later. Um, now, you can reach me if you want to uh, get more details about either or both groups. My email is nicknyny1 at gmail.com. So that's N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the number one, at gmail.com. And uh, that should do it. And uh, the, uh, the actual, uh, the other one I'm going to give you now, I might as well, is the Disclosure Network New York. And that is simply uh, dnny.info. Of course, dnny stands for Disclosure Network New York. But you don't have to write that, just dnny.info. And you'll get the, uh, the whole description of the next meeting, which is coming up in two weeks. And that's going to be a town meeting where we tell our various personal stories. That's one of the, one of the great kinds of meetings that we do. Okay, so um, now that we've done this, we're going to get right to it. My, my very, very special guest is Hal Rainbow. Hal, a very warm welcome to you tonight. Oh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be here. And uh, I want to go right into the program. But before I do that, I want to just give a very, very brief background um, of you, uh, which is that you are a, a Urantia book longtime reader and current vice president of the Urantia Society of Greater New York, and will be the, uh, and you also have been studying uh, Wicker for a while in your life, and you come from a Jewish background. So there's three very exciting, very different and unique 
uh, study, uh, spiritual studies that you've been doing, probably along with others, for all I know, we'll discuss that. And so we want to talk about that. And uh, your, your unique perspective in these various teachings, uh, what their differences are, perhaps what some of the similarities are. And this, of course, is your, your life, your search for the truth. And that's the kinds of things you've been in. I'm going to start right from the very beginning. May I ask you first, of course, uh, where were you born? I was born in Staten Island, New York, the one borough that most people don't know about. <laughs> and you were raised there too, right? And you live there I currently. Was, I was yes, I was raised I was raised there and I stayed there for the most part till I was in my twenties. Okay. And um you you're from a family of brothers and sisters. Just briefly tell us about that. I have uh two sisters both older and then um later on in life my parents uh they my cousins their parents um died unfortunately and so they came to live with us which speaks quite well of your parents um uh, and uh, that with, was my next question of of tell us a little bit about your mom and dad were they uh highly spiritual or not uh, very little my mother is an atheist and my father I think was more agnostic than anything else. They, okay. my grandparents, my grandparents were religious, and they wanted us to know the religion, know the high holidays, know the traditions. So we were raised at least culturally Jewish. Right, and they, uh, your grandparents, did they both come from Russia? Were they Russian Jews? No, um, three of my grandparents were from the Russia-Ukraine area. I'm not sure exactly where. And my grandfather on my father's side was German. Okay, okay, got it. And um, just just briefly about your schooling. For the most part, I went through public school, public elementary school and junior high school. And then in high school, I went to St. Francis Seminary High School, which um, was a Franciscan school, but it also worked on the idea that everything was project-based learning whenever possible. Okay, okay. And, so it was um, an experimental uh, school. Right, right, right. Got it. And uh, I think what I'd like to do now is suggest, if you will, give us a, t- a taste of the, um, of the big picture uh, from the time um, you were probably a teenager to you starting to search for other things, including Wicca, if you want to detail that a little bit, as, as well as other studies you've done uh, in that line. Okay. Before, um, before, before you I, get to the Urantia book. As I said, I was raised Jewish and um, studied that. I had my bar mitzvah at 13 and um, did, a fair amount, you know, did a fair amount of questioning, which comes up. And then in high school, St. Francis was a Catholic was Catholic school, and it was seminary geared so that um, you studied the teachings of St. Francis and the Catholic Church, which um, I, you know outside of the politics, I, fa- I found was very interesting, and uh, it, it was a, it, it was very much an extension of, of Judaism, so the teachings fit in together. And then um, I moved out to the Midwest 
and I had found Wicca. I've been interested in it for numerous years and had read about it, and then had met a group of people who studied it. So I and that was with, in the Midwest. You said right in the Midwest. This is in uh, Minnesota. Minnesota, okay. I studied with them for quite a while, and found it to be. I found it to be very interesting. I wouldn't say completely peaceful, but um, I could relate to it much more because it was things that happened. They were a lot of it was earthbound. A lot of it involved mythology and spirituality. But it was um, it was it was an easy religion to connect to. It made sense. It worked with the seasons. So I joined a coven out there, and I know as soon as you say the word coven, everyone's kind of the hairs on the back of the neck. The hairs on the back of the neck stand up. <coughs> right. It's just a term for. Uh, it's just basically a term for the different groups. For the groups of this, you have study meetings. They had covens, and um, it also you, it dispelled a lot of rumors like which means wise woman things along that line, but I studied that for numerous years, and then I came back to New York. And wait, wait, before we, I, go, before we go back to New York, I want to go a little bit further and deeper into Wicca. Uh, did okay. they have, uh, for instance, ceremonies? You mentioned uh, nature. Can you give us some details, like what was that like? What, what did they read or do, or how was that? What was that like? I would really love to know that. Okay, Wicca, uh, Wicca ceremony... It can be done just about anywhere. It deals with the god and the goddess, which are the elemental forces. And um, it work, it's a religion that works through nature, using nature. The meetings are not always outside. A lot of times they're in people's houses. But it involves, the four, it involves invoking the four elements, earth, wind, fire, and air earth, wind, water, and air, excuse me. And um, so incorporating the different aspects of the earth, the geologic, the uh, points of the compass, natural natural uh, things such as sage, ancient, a lot of ancient protections. So it draws on the earth and it draws on the elements and it draws on the god and goddess of the earth. And that's how the ceremonies go. As far as there is no set written ceremony, there is a certain amount that you follow ritualistically, such as I said, calling the corners, setting the sacred circle. But how the ceremony runs is very similar to Urantia, that it's each individual's group style. Do do they light candles? Do they do they have certain things that they say together? Uh, a lot of the groups that I was with, they did light candles. Uh, we used candles for the different for the different corners, and um, there were set there were some set prayers. You you draw the circle with something called an athame, which was a ritual knife, which sounds much more dramatic than it is. It's it's a religious piece. It's a knife that you draw a sacred circle around, and then you also follow the circle with sage, because sage is a protective spice. 
sages of protective grass, and then you welcome the corners, and you welcome the god, and you welcome the goddess, and then you have your ceremony. And when the ceremony is over, you thank the god, you thank the goddess, and you release the corners, and you break the sacred space. Okay, and how about the location of the gods and goddesses? Is there any particular place in the universe that, that they reside, or how, how does that work? Um, I don't think there is a particular place such as heaven or nirvana or such like that. The, um, they're spirits of the earth, they're spirits of the air, they're they're somewhat like uh, the Christian and Urantia God. They're everywhere. Okay, okay. So it, there's no particular place uh, for that. And um, is this a worldwide um, spiritual calling, uh, the, the the Wicca? Yes, it is. Would yes. Europe be a place where it happens to be a lot of um, Wicca? It, it evolved through Italy, the Celtic regions, so it is pretty well a worldwide religion. Okay, and uh, in, in, in the United States, are there any particular areas where the Wicker uh, uh, organizations are, where they, they gather? No, there's not um, a particular grouping anywhere. They're, they're located all over the country. There is no set, you know, center of Wicca. Okay, so and another very question... Much it's very much a homegrown. It's very much a homegrown sort of thing. Okay, and also I want to visual, visualizing these gatherings. Do people wear any particular outfits or uh, uh, insignias or anything on them? Anything special that would be worn at a ceremony for Wicca? No, no, not really. It depends on the. It depends on this of the particular coven's choosing of what they want to wear. There is no. There is no set outfit or calling. A lot of people have the uh, pentacle that they wear as a piece of jewelry. It's a um, it's a point of pentacle. And um, no, there is no. You know, different groups may try different different looks. It depends on how they feel. Right, I could I could understand that. And one last question about Wicca: Is there a particular book of Wicca? Or is it several books, or what? what is that like? There are several books of teachings. Um, most of them can be found in spiritual bookstores. There's, um, you have to go through to find what you're looking for. There's, as I say, there's various books and various teachings. Well, and also I would gather there's various authors. There's not one author for this. No, there is various authors depending on the depending on what part of the subject you're interested in. Okay, and and I just got to ask this: after the ceremonies, did you feel joy? Did you feel loving? What, what were the feelings coming out of the meetings? There was. It was a common. It was a very strange combination of excitement and um, enjoyment, but also there was a sense of calm. I know that's kind of hard to explain the two things happening at once, but it was a very mm-hmm. satisfied feeling because it's not um, 
least the way we practiced, it was more a matter of, it wasn't just, okay, everything's over. It was the energy flowing out. You brought the energy in, it rose, and then when you were done, it flowed out. So it was very okay. much this combination of excitement and calm. Right, right. And just uh, briefly, to go back to uh, uh, the, uh, the Jewish uh, religion, you you still do... Uh, go to some of the major holidays, a temple, and right. You just, in fact, I believe you just celebrated a couple of important yes, I, holidays. Um, I do celebrate the High Holy Days and also Passover. R- right, and there's a. Are there many uh, Jewish holidays throughout the year? Several, yes. Several big holidays. Okay, all right. And so now let's go to uh, our your rancher book and. Um, tell a little bit about, uh, I know the answer to this one, uh, how did you find it, and what, what, did your, what was your initial reaction to a 2,000-page blue cover book? Uh, just give me a little bit of that, please. I first heard of the Urantia book when I was in high school. The, a couple of the priests talked about it, and they said it was a they use it as a secondary source to the Bible. And um, to be honest with you, when I first heard about it and saw it in high school, my thought was, my God, it's a big textbook. <laughs> you know, when I first and saw it, the, visually the 2,000-page book, at that time it was a, a kind of a very plain uh, dark blue cover. It looked like a, a major book for lawyers. It had that kind of a, a feel to it, didn't it? Uh, like the, Immediately, yeah, like, uh-oh, 2,000 pages, how would I ever get through it, right? And, <laughs> That's how and, I felt. You know, with no disrespect intended, I also told someone it makes a great doorstop. But, uh, <laughs> well, but as would. I said, I had first heard about it through high school and the priests there, and then as time went on, it kind of slipped into the back of my mind. And then you and I were talking one night, and you brought it up again. So that was my reintroduction. Right, right, right. And um, just the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 when you, when you first, uh, when I started talking to you about it, and I believe I said to you that this is something that I have been uh, studying for many, many years, and uh, it really has helped my life. It's enlightened me. And I also said to you, uh, this doesn't mean at all that you have to read it or adopt it or anything. I mean, you've got your your own truth and your own your own interests. But I, I just said I just wanted you to know that I am involved in it, and I let it go that way because I thought that was a, a fair way to to speak about the book to you. I, I didn't want you in any way to feel obligated to. But you, you did have questions, and you did ask me a, a, a wide variety of questions about the book, and I tried my best to uh, give you uh, my point of view about what the book was about briefly. And uh, there was there was no pre- there was never any pressure on your end to uh, no and I, no that would have been wrong to do that you know and I know I, that some some people tend to do, uh, what shall I say be more aggressive. And I, I just don't think that works. I think that the book speaks for itself. Would you not agree? Yes. And you, you know, I got the sense of joy that you got from it. Um, and then, you know, because of listening to you and the sense of 
individual insights that I got from it, and some of it sounded very interesting. I, um, you know, I told you I wanted to go to one of the meetings, so I went to the study group, and unfortunately, the first one I went to, they were discussing an extremely controversial part of the book that wasn't the most peaceful thing I've ever read, and I thought to myself, well, I mean, if this is what it's really about, I don't want anything to do with this. But then afterwards, you and I talked about it, and you explained it was only one small section, and I had decided I'd go back and give it a few more tries, and then it really was, and then I really got into the meaning of it, and it really was quite beautiful. You know, it, it, what you just said is so true, is that if you open any page of a 2,000-page book, you might think that you're reading a, uh, a science book or a physics book or a book of history of a particular country or uh, a book of a particular uh, 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 other religious calling. Uh, or you might think you're reading a passage almost from the Bible when they talk about the life and teachings of Jesus, which is a huge section, the last section of the book, the biggest section of the, of the four parts of the book. And, um, and, and also there's other parts of the book where it just seems that you're, you're an astronomer and you're a very serious astronomer and you're studying not only what's in our own Milky Way, but the other universes, and they say there's seven uh, super universes and incredible detail. And then as if that wasn't enough, you can open uh, to another section of the book and you swear that you're reading the very best cutting edge science fiction book you've ever read in your life. Am I, am I right? Uh, yeah, I would, yes, I would say that's quite, that's quite the case. I find in terms of the book itself, the sections that I find the most interesting and I find are very often in their own way overlooked is the history of the world and the history of mankind. I know. Absolutely. Most... Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's one of those sections that you literally can't put it down because. No, I know it's... a lot of people concentrate on the life of Jesus, which of course is amazingly major, but I find the other sections, these two sections that I mentioned, they're, Pretty. I mean, they're amazingly fascinating because it's, uh, if particularly if you read, if you're into history, literature, and mythology, it goes deeply into all of these things, and gives a lot more study on it, a lot more reasons of how it happened, why it happened, the evolution of it, and it also takes some historical religious characters such as Moses and Noah and gives quite a backstory to them makes them very, very human. Absolutely does, uh, Hal. And the thing that was interesting to me is, though, although I've read those stories uh, many times, I've seen the movies that are out there on that subject, what the Arantia book does is give you a one million times more powerful, more detailed version of that, uh, that those stories. And it, it confirms some of what you've been read and thought before. At other points, it quite disputes uh, some of the concepts that you've had, uh, you've had learned in the past. 
and it gives you reasons why. And so it never has ever gotten boring. Page to page, um, you're on the edge of your chair because you're absorbing information in a whole new light, in, in a whole new perspective. And it, that's very, very – I find that incredibly exciting. It's also um, – I like the way that it's written by so many different entities and in some of the history section. You have some writers who have a similar bit, have a somewhat biblical style. You have some writers who in certain sections have a very dry textbook style. You have – now, I happen to like – satire and such like that, and you have some entities where you're writing with all these kind of little bigs thrown in now and then. <laughs> you know, it's almost like, you know, hey, get this, or really? You know, there's just it's a, a lot of very personal touches, which really adds to it, adds to the text. You know, that was surprising to me is though every so often some of the authors, and there are many authors in this book, uh, chapter to chapter, um, will say something that is incredibly humorous. And I didn't expect that in this book. I just never thought that there would be any humor whatsoever because you're talking about very certainly serious subjects, uh, subjects that we are all interested in finding out the truth about. And then all of a sudden they'll, they'll, they'll put in this wonderful comment and you're chuckling. And I just love the fact that it's got that kind of variety uh, in in the writing. And also, and I think you'd agree with this, is that the authors have different personalities that really do Very much so. And th- did that surprise you? That they were it so did. different? It did. At first, I wasn't sure I had it right, but yes, the very different personalities were different. It did strike me. It was sort of like what, like listening to or reading, excuse me, a compilation of almost short story writers, each with their mm-hmm. own voice. Yep. But one, th- one thing about the book that does, it still confuses me a little bit, and strictly a grammatical thing, is for a book that was written for modern time, when they talk about the hierarchy of the universes, they use very biblical terminology. Um, Master, Lord, Christ, Prince. And that just surprised me that they had that they didn't use a more modern terminology. Well, that's a very good point. Um, my thinking there is that this book was not meant for the United States or for Russia or for China or the American Indians, or the what it was meant for all cultures. And that's a huge, huge challenge, is how to connect with people in so many different uh, mindsets and so many different histories uh, of their own countries, um, of their own spiritualities and, and all that, and to try to uh, speak and, and create and create a, a narrative that will reach all these people. And what you're saying is true. Some of it is cutting edge, modern, like you wouldn't believe. Other parts of it are, are like you're saying, it, almost like it was um, uh, hearkening from a different era. But it's reaching, I think, 
those people too. It's kind of pulling them all in and saying, you live on planet Urantia that you call Earth, and you are all part of this of this beautiful planet, and you're all family. You're all related. And I think it's it's an attempt, at least this is my, my, my thinking, to kind of speak to all. And so you're going to get sections that you, you feel as though they were, it was written just for Hal Rainbow or, or whoever. And there's other sections that seem like they were written uh, um, for people in the Ukraine or, or, or wherever, uh, the, the Buddhist. Because um, some of those concepts and some of the words, even some of the phrases, are from those other cultures. So it's, a, it's such a massive work on so many dimensions and so many levels. It's multi-leveled. Almost, I have never uh, seen a book ever that had so many different levels of, of teaching and thought, all combined in 2,000 pages. And, right. Uh, did you feel that's a, that's a feeling that you've had, too? Does that make sense? Yes, I found it overwhelming in parts, and I also found that, I, at least I thought it was interesting, that its flavor tends to blend between Eastern, or, um, Eastern philosophies and a fair amount of Christian theology, not yes. meaning the atonement principle, but more the um, the older Christian philosophy, which was more what was what they believe was taught at the time of Christ. Yes, yes. That um, the, they I think those seem to be the two big influences that I've gotten out of it. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And uh, just to go back to, again to the fourth section uh, of the four parts of the book, which is the life and teachings of Jesus, I have never been so moved uh, uh, on, on so many levels, spiritually, emotionally, as reading. It's it's almost day to day, city to city, um, group to group of what Jesus passed through in his life here on Urantia. And although the Bible does have some of that, and, and again, the word some of that, this is just like a hundred times more detail and a lot of stories that we've never heard before, that people and regions and how he was treated and what he said to people that's never been reported before. And in the writing style of that of that fourth section, you feel as though you are there. You can see it clearly. You can, you can almost smell the food <laughs> and, right. and you can see the faces of the people as they're listening to what he's telling them. And, and it moves them um, and it, it makes them think. Um, and, and he of course sp- speaks to the littlest child holds the, holds the newborn babies speaks to the, to the elders, speaks to everyone, speaks to women on an, e- on an equal basis of men and women are equal at a time when that was big, big news. And a lot of people certainly didn't accept that. So he is doing this future talk as he is trying to explain who he is and who they are and who, how they relate to each other. 
Uh, that, that section, which we, by the way, we're currently, that's the section we're reading right now in the study and group here I, in New York City. On, on that note, uh, invite folks to participate via the study group. We're running out of time. Um, oh, this was a fascinating show. Thank you, Nick. Oh, well, uh, you're more, more than welcome. I knew that Hal, with his background, would be would add so much to, this, to the uh, narrative here. Um, to Thank get you. to me, again, Nick, N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y-1, the number one, at, at gmail.com. And you can go online and read part of the Arantia book, any part of it, or you can even listen to it because it's totally been recorded. And here's the website. They just redid the website and made it even more beautiful and uh, striking. And the website is U-R-A-N-T-I-A-B-O-O-K dot O-R-G. And that will get you right into this website. They just redid it, and it is superb. It's a, it's a wonderful tool. If you want to reach Hal, you can go to, through, through me at my my email address, nicknyny1 at gmail.com, and I would certainly be happy to pass any any comments you want to ask or questions you want to ask Hal, and I'd be more than happy to pass it on to him. Hal, Hercules, uh, uh, how much more time do we have? Any more? Um, you have like a minute. Okay. <laughs> Hal, do you have just a quick a final thought about uh, about? No, I subject? think we've covered everything, and I think – uh, without patting ourselves on the back, I think we did a very good job of it. Well, well I, I do too. Uh, this is Nick Curdo for the, the, the uh, Nick Curdo presents the Urantia book. Wishing you all an enlightening journey. Till next time, explore the limitless love that the Urantia book uh, has. Stay safe. Be kind to one another. Goodbye for now. Goodbye and thanks again. We're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's. Um, evolve and then we will be back uh, with the second part of our show
Hercules Invictus, and our next sector is the Perceptor Project, hosted by Phoenix the Technodrid. Uh, today we'll find out more about Project Preceptor and uh, how people can get involved if they so choose. Greetings and welcome, Phoenix. How are you? Not too bad. Greetings and salutations. Um, we still have Nick on the line? No, Nick uh, um, is no longer on the line. Okay. Uh, that's unfortunate. Um, okay, so yeah. Uh, now I keep doing I keep doing these educational segments, but we are coming up on a, a patch of real evolution when it comes okay. to abilities and um, all that. Yeah, when it comes to abilities and everything involved 
with that, yeah, I mean, we're, we're reaching a period of evolution, and pathways as well as doors are opening up. Uh, here's, here's a lesson to all our listeners. Um, definitely, definitely, if you if you got a bug to go for, start pursuing something, be all in on it, because, um, yeah, you, you, amazing things will open up. Now, within the past few months, actually, let's say the past nine months, um, knowing that I was going to have to, I was going to have to get radio involved, you know, as a science, I was going to have to learn more about that uh, to pursue goals and stuff that we've set out. I set out to go ahead and do that. Now, where I say real evolution, um, okay, so first off, imagine imagine if we could stop piracy in international waters, or at least make it a lot harder to commit acts of piracy. I mean, we hear uh-huh. stories. We 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 hear stories about Somali pirates all the time, and it's like nobody's really doing much because hey, it's in inter- it's in international waters. Coast Guard runs by it. The Coast Guard will do something about it. But these are pirates. They know how to avoid the Coast Guard. Okay. Um, not only that, not only that, for uh, for our water, um, for the, our combined goals in cleaning up the oceans. Now, getting getting clean water is out of an out of the ocean is uh, is a question of how hot can you get that water. But mm-hmm. uh, now, now Nick Nick has talked Nick has talked. Uh, you know, I've got to. I've really got to praise him. That uh, lemonade is a very lofty goal. Um. So n- now, working working all together. That's why I was asking if he was here initially, is because I figured out. I think I, that I figured out a good, at least an addition to those ships once he gets to making them. And um. That would be that would be basic telemetry through, and through radio, or you take you take some of Nick, you take some of Nick's, Nick's ships, or uh, you know uh, you know there was that kid in Sweden I believe it was that started the whole revolution for us five six years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. What I hear that kid's doing great. Now every every one of these every one of these ocean cleanup boats that we deploy. Imagine not only if it could um, boost boost reception, so you know, thereby lessening the instances of uh, situations like the movie the per- uh, that was per- yeah it was the perfect storm, where or Poseidon that one where they're on the the uh, cruise liner. And you get the whole cruise liner out there, or in reality, I mean, there are some of those there are some of those um, river tours that are in places. I want to say like Norway, but I'm probably wrong there. There was there was a ship that ran aground, and it, it took help three days. They they didn't they didn't see it, you know they didn't do anything until they were three days out. And by then, people were getting frostbite. You know, every the situation was deteriorating. So, um, evolution for perceptor. 
Now it takes it takes it takes money to do everything that we're doing. So for that to contribute uh, to the to like all of our all of our I guess well being on the project, all of our resource okay. stockpile. Um, I am in the process currently. Uh, if anybody needs a radio, I'm your guy, and it's going to help. It's going to help out Project Receptor, and it's going to help. Thereby, it's going to help out. Uh, it's going to help out everything we're doing with the Argonauts. So I mean, it's going to a great cause. Um, where I start to say opportunities, though, in doing the okay, so. There are several, well, there's two main types of uh, amateur radio response teams. Uh, RACES is Radio Amateur Civil Emergency Service. ARIES is another one, and uh, I believe that's Amateur Radio Emergency Service. Either way, you are getting, yeah, I mean, they, for all the CERT teams and stuff that go out and look at, you know, look at these disaster areas, you know, looking for survivors, looking at structural integrity of buildings, etc. Everything a CERT team does. Your RACES or your ARIES team is their nerve center, is what coordinates those teams. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah. And I'm working on getting one set up for Orem City, so we'll have that resource out here, and most importantly, I'll have the experience of just getting to a town, knowing who to contact, knowing which resources to pull together. It's like um, now we were talking we were talking about uh, putting a trip in the works uh, for some time this coming year. Um, that would be that would be very cool to be able to uh, talk to Tenafly as a municipality. And say, here's what I've got. Here's what I've done. I think that would be very cool. And plus, I mean, it would it would bring it would bring both positive light and positive notoriety to what we're doing. With uh, okay, yeah, with the whole how, with the whole everything. how so, how so notoriety. I'm sorry. How so notoriety? Um, you would be. You or uh, whatever team you put together, or notoriety, you're dealing you're dealing with the people day you know day in and day out. Well, at least when you check in with them, at least when you do stuff with them, you're dealing with the, your respond your your local responders, uh, your local fire, your local EMS. Um, I had somebody in setting and trying to set up set this up for me. They asked if I wanted to be part of it's like a citizen. It's like we're citizens. So like you just need somebody to talk to, and as opposed to like you know, uh, and the cops get called out there because like, well, let's let's say your average veteran, your average veteran who has not been properly debriefed is having a very hard time, and he just needs somebody to talk to. Um, I was asked if I wanted to be part of a civilian response. It's like a group that goes out and does that. It's like, uh, yeah, that sounds like it could be cool. Let me let me get my infrastructure with the radio stuff set up first, and then come back and talk to me in like five or six months. And they're like, okay. 
so yeah, I mean, dealing dealing with the responders, your local people who are going out there and saving lives, is uh, how you would be gaining positive notoriety. And I mean, I always use it responsibly out here, but uh-huh. but um, yeah, I mean. Uh, there's times I've been called upon to be a hub of information for the local Orem authorities. You know, nothing, you know, nothing like really superstar, you know. But, it, you know, having a radio in my hand and being able to do like a neighborhood watch program, which is another thing. You can have your neighborhood watch commanders, your, you know, your block leaders or whatever. You can have them check in and be able to coordinate with each other using the, using the civilian radio stuff. Most importantly, though, uh-huh. uh, okay, so before we got on, or before I dialed in, that's why I was like two minutes late, um, I, got, I was able to find a repeater in uh, Paramus, I believe. Yeah, if I, were, if I remember the call letters correctly, that repeater was in Paramus, New Jersey. And um, I, was able to, I was able to key up on that repeater through a service called Echolink. And okay. I don't think anybody has the radio equipment to have been able to hear, to hear me. Or, you know, at least in the initial broadcast, maybe one of our listeners will pop up. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was, able, I was actually able to, from my, from my Android, from my little Galaxy S7, which is like breaking and like getting out of date, it, it's painful, really. Uh, but I was able to dial up, get on this echo link, send a message, which is termed as a QSO, as your, conver- your conversation is termed as a QSO, was able to send a message both in voice and in text, and that message would have hit the buildings in New York City, literally. So there's there's that aspect. There is... The digital aspects, um, yeah, I definitely think, I definitely think as far as um, as far as my library game goes, you know, I definitely think that um, as often as we can get me out there, I could probably do like one a one or a two day workshop on radio alone. That'd be great. Um, one thing, one thing for that, one thing that should uh, be like a pretty good call to action for people that you know, young budding operators, would be, hey guys, first off, we have no restrictions above 250 gigahertz, which uh, at least for now is why I'm saying, because okay, so you're you're not getting which just a 10 second segue into a previous conversation. We were worried about uh, sub one uh, waves that are shorter than one millimeter. Uh, you don't really need to worry about waves that are shorter than one millimeter coming off the broadcast hardware that is being deployed at least that civilians are allowed to know about. Because guys, uh, the one millimeter wave, that's 258 gigahertz. Uh, you're not. You're getting the stuff that I know about. That's in civilian. That's working for civilian for civilian usage, even even at an agency level like like OPD. 
yeah, they're still having trouble getting past the um, 20, 25 gigahertz range. They're, um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, whole, we're a whole one, one component, one power exponentially before this become before our radio waves that we're throwing out there become ionizing radiation uh, become what's called ionizing radiation and have the power to change our genetics. So yes guys it is coming. I don't think 5G is going to be the ticket there. Um uh-huh. but at, at the same time we've got to exercise proper stewardship of the airwaves for sure. But yeah, I mean to be able to change your genetics. Now they might be able to mess with they might be able to mess with your noodle. I, I hear that. I hear stories. I hear ghost stories about that a lot out here in the mountains. What um, type of ghost stories? I mean, well, it's like okay, um, people people getting on board a subway in New York City. I should I should clarify. I hear a okay. lot of ghost stories about that area, even back here in Salt Lake, uh, or. You know, Provo area actually is closer to where I physically am. But um, yeah, people getting on subways and instead of um, hearing the jingle for whatever some people are trying to advertise, no, these people are supposedly literally hearing it in their head. Which okay, and, and I mean, there's there's been so many reports of that that I've been able to get a hold of and so many people saying, yes, this happened, that, I mean, yeah, what's going on with those with those 29 gigahertz waves, guys? I mean, it's a whole, it's like I said, it's a whole exponent lower than it's going to need to be to change your genetics. But, yeah, it's like people people will get on board the subway or pass a certain point and they'll be like literally hearing a jingle for something, not with their ears, but it's like in their head. Now I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how this how this would work. I mean I don't doubt its existence, where mankind is capable of doing amazing things. Um, I think, however, that uh, you know when we do discover proof of a system like that to confirm or disprove all these ghost stories. I definitely think that the usage of said system would be a lot better employed in like psychotherapy or something, you know, mm. instead of saying, "Oh, buy a Dr. Pepper, buy a Dr. Pe-, you know, and instead of, instead of that coming through as a message, you know, have it play. No, dude, you're really all right. Yeah. You just need to put in a little bit, you know, all those, all those motivational videos hurt that we sit there and listen to ourselves and occasionally sit there, you know, occasionally like post four or five of them on our Facebook page would be much better served application if they come through, if they come through with a technology that can circumvent the human ear. And you can literally hear stuff in your head if they come to, if they come together with well, that technology. We have uh, uh, one of our regular guests, like yourself, you're a regular guest. Uh, one of our regular guests, Michael DeLuce, started yeah. talking about my camera mind. I'm sorry. Are you familiar with the concept of of the bicameral mind? uh, Not as much as I need to be. Um, Can you give me like uh, a? Sure, I'll give you like a few bullets. 
Um, basically, right now, it's one of those theories that's no longer in vogue, but for a while it was in vogue, and it, it explains a lot of things. Uh, it's uh, basically that uh, the voices in people's heads uh, are the two hemispheres of the brain communicating. And in antiquity, before we developed modern consciousness, these voices were perceived as uh, gods or ancestors or spirits or, you know, one of a number of things, uh, depending on the person's belief system, but they came in the form of uh, commands uh, that directed you what to do. So what you're um, sharing right here sounds like we've come full circle and we've transcended the bounds of our bodies in the collective uh, uh, subconscious or unconscious or imagination, you know, whatever uh, you'd like to call it. Uh, and now uh, there'll be like a new center directing things out that people's brains can pick up. That would be uh, like kind of like an analog, kind of like analog telepathy in that application, in other words. Kind of, yeah. Okay. I mean, you know. Um, now, see, what would prevent together we come up with it. I would be worried about that. that. In fact, that would be my main worry, um, uh, is would be somebody abusing that system. Now, I mean... All, all, all it needs is to get in one person's wrong hands. They could uh, uh, basically turn humans into ants or bees, into like a hive mind. That, depend, that depends on how strong-willed uh, we are as individuals. Um, several, several people... Several people that I've talked to, um, mostly mostly like vets, like people that you they can't say where they're you know they de- they 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 got out they came back home they're pretty darn decorated you know a little uh, quite a bit more than your average person just got you know but they can't say anything. Some of these people have have questioned as uh, to whether or not I mean. They're like a certain type of hardware you can like beam emotions at people with, but most of those people are also and this okay so with with positive the positive end of magnetic fields and um, uh, EEGs now they've they they've they've talked about having great results with um, it's like it was called the God Project. But okay. uh, you were like you were like changing you were like changing the overall uh, charge I guess charge level of the brain, and you were like beaming you, you know the magnetic fields and stuff that were focusing in inside of your melon there were put together you know were the positive ends of the fields and this was all controlled electronically. People that put this helmet on and went into sensory deprivation. Reported, um, it's like one of those amazing, you know, this like we could develop this into psychotherapy. Not exactly, you know, not exactly reporting uh, chemical change levels uh, like the like when uh, veterans go on an ayahuasca trek, but uh, still, I mean, they're they're reporting they're reporting being part of a positive consciousness that. You know, and being you know being possessed with wanting to go build stuff, and you know, and like it's like an it's it's, a, it's reported to be like an, an instant dose of hey, let's go fix things. Okay. Which 
uh, you know, that's not uh, that's that's kind of our that's kind of our gig. So it's like, hey, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't mind a dose of this. Let's see, let's see how this works. But yeah, I mean, I've heard of I've heard of stuff like that. Um, could we, you know, how how close are we to bridging that gap though? Because if we're able to talk like gods, then um, how far ahead before we're talking to them again? Yeah, that's the whole. That's the whole thing. That's the whole basis so behind Project Questions there. That that makes it a very exciting uh, quest. Now, um, you were at my Mythic Atlantis uh, event a few years back, and uh, right now, um, I'm finally at a point where uh, Atlantis is being uh, reactivated and re-envisioned, and we're focusing on clean water. And uh, you had brought up several times. Uh, that uh, you had wanted to clean the water in the Hudson. So um, I'm yes. going to invite you to be part of uh, Atlantis, uh, the Atlantis project, and uh, uh, talk more about that. Uh, I've developed an Atlantis uh, podcast. will be monthly, so you'll be a frequent guest. Can you reintroduce that in terms of cleaning the water, uh, what you intend on doing? Okay, definitely, definitely. Um Okay, so now as far as as far as municipality level hardware, uh, stuff that the stuff that the city of New York or would be using, um, or you know the city of Newark, or you know any other town any other township on up the river, um, would be doing. Uh, we we out here are are hinging on a type of technology. That is like the reflect. It's kind of it's kind of like a scaled down version of the reflector towers that are just outside of Las Vegas. Only it's flipped up. It's flipped on its. It's like the tower, only it's flipped on its top. So essentially, it's a big, huge lens, right? That heats up salt inside of a um, chrome chromium a chromium ball. This chromium ball is always spinning. Salt's getting pumped in, turning into a liquid, going out into a heat exchanger. Um, power is a byproduct of this, guys. Uh, I can through those through those contraptions, which will be my front runners, hopefully. Um, I am able to clean. Uh, let's fifty times thirty six. Uh, let's let's say well over a thousand gallons of water an hour, if you're if you're if you're putting the full amount of heat on it. Um, once you, now once you do, once you heat distill water at up to or past fifteen hundred degrees, then it will um, it will release its toxins. Now, um, as far as the smaller as the smaller more block to block or borough level. Stuff goes. Um, one thing I would like to do out here, which or out there, which is something that I'm trying to perfect out here. Um, we were talking about using natural means of filtration, um, i.e., picking, you know, getting getting some river water, putting it in, you know, putting it in like an aquaponic system, uh, not a hydroponic system in particular, but an aquaponic system. Which uses okay. instead of hydroponics for uh, those not versed, hydroponics you are taking you're taking pure water yes, 
but you are introducing chemicals into it, which, I mean, as wonderful as they may be, that's still there. Those chemicals are still required to be uh, processed from their base forms in um, a way that most people that are like completely natural, completely organic would not be okay with. Versus we have a solution here where you can, well, that's essentially everywhere, but the solution is you take fish, feed the fish, take care of your fish in the little fish tank, pipe the water through your plants. Okay. Uh, they have, they have, uh, this is starting to take off as like a microcosm idea out here. Hopefully I can claim part of the, you know, can claim part of the reason why. Because I've been talking to enough people about it forever now, but um, yeah, I mean, you you can you can take a, a type of fish, say tilapia, for example. A lot of people a lot of people love eating tilapia. Uh-huh. Uh, you want to get the stuff that's been farm raised because uh, tilapia are wonderful fish for clean for. Um, I guess you could say aquacultural applications when when they figure when they figure like at a at a treatment plant that the water is clean enough to be released out into back out into the open they will take these fish these tilapia uh, and kind of do like a canary in the coal mine type of thing and I mean if the tilapia thrive uh, you, you you still as a human being wouldn't want to drink this water, but um, all you know if the tilapia thrive, then I guess they figure it can be reintroduced. Like, okay. come on, guys, we 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 live. This is 2019. It's almost 2020. There's got to be a better way than a canary in the coal mine with with some fish. Dish. You know, if uh, there is that a lot of people eat out here. Let's just say that. At least out in Utah. Utah is a landlocked state. Believe me, you cannot get good seafood. You can hardly you can hardly get a good spring roll. But um, now, you, there's there's the ability to clean the water that way. You can set up aquaponic gardens uh, on A-frames that are and have hundreds of plants in little tiny tiny areas, right? Um, that's, that should be another thing. Um, now, it, it, uh, in addition to, in addition to, um, well, actually, we'll visit that. We'll visit that at a later thing. Um, yeah, every everything that everything that I'm talking about, all the technologies that I'm talking about, are um, being perfected out here before I take them out there. Now, okay. uh, one one thing one thing that uh, sites like Riverwatch could benefit from, exponentially benefit from, would be better better uh, hardware, better ways to read and report. Um, one thing, and uh, I've been trying I've been trying to get a hold of somebody out there. Perhaps perhaps we can team up on this, Hercules, uh, like uh, like in an off time. And like, have you have you helped me find the correct people to call? But uh, particle elect, or I have uh, two words for Riverwatch.org, and those two words are particle electronics. 
Okay. You can get you can get you can get um yeah, you can get sensors that you hook up to transmitters and these transmitters can transmit out to 20 miles and you can run those off of solar panels on little uh similar to how you guys have the solar panels kind of sticking up the power poles and antenna fly. Okay, yes. Like you go walking down the street and every fifth power pole you got like a solar panel. Similar uh-huh. to that except for you can you can deploy this in like a marshlands area. So Okay, so uh, that is uh, a very interesting uh, project. I wish I understood the science of it uh, better. There, there are, but there's, there's several. There's way several projects that I could direct our listeners to. There are. There's just a multitude of resources, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it would be a really good thing to at least go, at least give these once over, if these are the teaching materials that we're going to be using to teach other people. Sounds like a plan. Um, so, you know, in terms of the Project Preceptor, based uh, in Orem, Utah, is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay, and how would somebody who wants to get involved with Project uh, Preceptor get involved? There are okay, so there's there's a multitude of ways. Um, the the Facebook page is uh, uh, come on guys, I've got an AI set up. Um, it will message me like five ways. Uh, go to fa- facebook.com forward slash r o r preceptor project is one way. Uh, now, uh, that that also links into my phone, so you guys can hit the call me button. I promise it'll ring my Galaxy that's in my hand right now. Now, uh, now for those, for you know, barring that, um, people can call me, 801-860-5883, or now, now, I've got a call sign. Uh, if you hear me on the radio... And uh, believe me, I'm dialing in and out worldwide now, now that I've got this echo link set up. Um, yeah, but like I said, there's there's very, very, very few places that I cannot just reach out and queue up. Um, and Okay, so my radio call sign, if you guys see me out there, definitely say hi, is KJ7KHC. And that is a federal. That is an FCC issued radio uh, radio call sign. Um, and yeah, I was going to say if people if people also want to, they can run that through the FCC database. And at least for the moment, it'll lead you right to it'll lead you right to my home office. But yeah, well, yeah. Okay, uh, so folks can reach you, and what projects, uh, before we wrap up, what projects is Project Perceptor currently uh, prioritizing? Prioritizing is communications and um, sensor distribution among, I'm I'm finishing the greenhouse project, getting the sensors uh, networked up, so yeah, I mean, if you can write code that communicates with uh, like various sensors, definitely I need to talk to you. 
Um, if you can, if you can, uh, if you have a call sign, you want to uh, you want to uh, do Steam education, like uh, having the having the international space, you know, coming to the school, dialing in the international space station, and maybe communicating with them is. Um, hey, definitely give me give me a, a message, a call, something, on the on the Facebook group, because uh, yeah, I mean that's Steam education. That's part of what we're in the part of what we're here doing. So um, I will include and, you on the rotations for the uh, Mythic Atlantis uh, podcast as well, and this way we could focus cool. on the uh, water based uh, projects. Um, I want cool, to thank cool. you. Very much. Next, for uh, taking time out of your day to join us here on uh, the podcast. I wish you great success in all your endeavors, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Love to your family. Yours as well. Yours as well. And for our listeners, uh, uh, the term the term in radio is seven three. When you're <laughs> yeah, when you're we'll we'll get to that. We'll cover it. It'll be wonderful. Well, 7-3, and as we say in Greek, yachara, uh, which is a form of goodbye. It means health and happiness. So be well, my friend. You too. Talk to you very soon. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to listen to Dave the Bard's Marlin and I, you too, and then we'll be back with Mythic Adventure in Outer Space. Ready? 
And welcome back to Pride of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am honored to announce today's last segment, Mythic Adventure in Outer Space. And one of our guests has joined us. Greetings and welcome. Greetings. How are you, my friend, Lion Lord? 
I'm doing very well, Hercules. I hope you're doing well this eve. I'm doing very well. Now, now that you're here, uh, I'm looking forward to our discussion. Uh, I've been looking forward to it all week. I've been looking for this as well, too. <laughs> now, Tina and Brian are supposed to join us, but they're not here yet. Um, they wrote a wonderful uh, introduction um, in the label of their first report from the USS Odyssey. And uh, they included you in there. Um, I don't know if you've spoken to them or if they've shared with you what they wrote. They had spoken to me a little bit here and there, but what did they write? Okay, um, let me see if I can find your uh, um, piece here. But they're, they're, they fictionalized uh, the tale that's been unfolding. And um, they had mentioned uh, interactions with you as well. Okay. Can't find it right now, but I'll keep looking. So let's let's keep talking. Um, now, what is going on in uh, your neck of space? Oh, the, your usual, the usual. Your pride. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I know the usual, but I mean we've had our solemn celebrations and part of a couple conventions. I've been out and about. It's like it never gets stopped. It never gets must to stay at the palace. It seems like <laughs> I've been occupied. Well, good. And you you lost a tremendous amount of I see from the pictures that you've been sharing. Oh yes, yeah. so I got the I got the honor to actually you know meet the this last weekend was actually thanks to a wonderful birthday present by my dear sister that you interviewed a couple of weeks back that she and her husband gave to me that we went to GalaxyCon. And I got to see George Nakai, I got to see Walter Kading, got to see Nichelle Nichols, to see Jonathan Frakes, wow. got to actually pick. So it was an honor to even, even if it was just to shake their hand, it was an honor to meet them. And I actually got to see it in the DeLorean from Ready Player One. That was also an honor as well. <laughs> well, it sounds like a lot of uh, fun. Mm-hmm. It was, it was, quite was. And how about the Simbaka? How have his adventures been? Oh, his adventures have been well. I mean, it, it goes to every once in a while. It goes to Deep Space Nine because the Kingdom Wine, it gets sold there. And he always sends a shipment to there, and that's kind of how he was hearing about some of the, about this going on. Because it seems like going to Quark's Bar, you always get hear a good word about to all the different beings that stop by at Deep Space Nine and and always stop by there every once in a while before heading back to back to back to home. And uh, creatively, because you're a very creative person, what has been going on? It's been a while since we spoke, uh, so sorry for all the questions. <laughs> Fill in all the blanks uh, because it has been a while. It it has been it has been a while, quite frankly. Um, I mean, it's been just very much the study and research and the planning of all this with trying to find the Paul. I I usually go into the holotech sometimes, and I have this little game program of this lawyer that defends people that have been accused of murder, and I kind of figured out, you know, how he would do this. And be like, well, of course, he'd go back to the scene of a crime. I mean, that would be the best bet is to set course to where Paul was last seen. 
I mean, it's been uh, it's been well, almost 100 years since this happened, but certainly enough, there would be some sort of clues or evidence left behind from where pa- Apollo was when Kirk and his crew had met up with him. Okay, that would be the first step. And of course, then, uh, and of course, then there would be also if there would have to be the chance of going back in time to ancient Greece. I mean, there's been the one means of going slingshot around the sun. That's what Russell Kirk and the crew always did that one time when they, you know, had to get those whales. Right. But of course, I've been, but of course, being an inventor myself, we have worked on certain device to work on the time travel ourselves. You know, I did see it send that DeLorean after all. There's that means of time travel as well. <laughs> But of course, one of the devices that I've we've worked on in case of the situation is because you know having an anthropomorphic lion try to walk around anywhere, it's not that easy. So, actually, I have a holographic emitter on this belt that I activates and actually can look more human. So that if we have to go back to ancient Greece, I can blend in with the populace. Well, let me fill in my part of the story as I uh, continue uh, scanning uh, through uh, what uh, Brian and Tina wrote. Um, basically, uh, we continued from the initial premise uh, with a role-playing game at the right. uh, Public Library. And uh, it was part of the summer reading program, which had an outer space theme. So uh, the the talks that we had with uh, Starfleet Command were put on temporary hold and we, we needed to leave for a mission. Uh, we left some diplomats there with them in District uh, 7 uh, and then uh, we went off and we were joined by Simbaka and we were joined by the Chandlers and uh, uh, we traveled back in time using uh, one of Cronus's crystals I... uh, back to Bronze Age uh, Greece. And in Bronze Age Greece, we inspired the dreams of uh, several heroes that weren't quite big enough to make it into the mythology and uh, become immortalized in that way. Uh, but uh, we, you know, we were able to give them an opportunity that would at least pl- place them in the realm of mitre heroes. And uh, they didn't know that we were from the future or that we had technology. So this was all done in their dreams. They had dreams and portents and visions. So uh, they were taken back. Uh, um, they were they were taken to the planet Venus to return three graces uh, who had finished their stint, and they were going to be re- replaced by another three uh, graces. So they were triplets, uh, and when they were sent down to Venus to accomplish uh, their task, they were told to uh, seek uh, one of the uh, crystals of uh, Kronos from some ruins. Uh, en route to their returning the uh, graces to their city. And it seemed like a really easy thing to ask them because the city was in ruins. We knew the crystal was there. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, what happened uh, very uh, quickly was that uh, we found out that the ruins were inhabited uh, by minions of an Atlantean sorcerer. Uh, oh, Atlantean his prime. So he had gone astrally uh, to Venus uh, and uh, he had uh, uh, recruited uh, some uh, creatures that uh, were not quite uh, savory, uh, and he not only stole the crystal, um, but he kidnapped the uh, three graces. So, oh my word! In an adventure that spanned uh, the planet, and the the planet was. 
conforming to Edgar Rice Burroughs' idea of what Venus would be like. So even though I didn't quite introduce uh, any elements from Edgar uh, Rice Burroughs' Venus books, his interpretation of Venus we were looking at, because again, it was a reading program. I want to encourage them to read. So I told them all about the uh, Burroughs books and, and so forth. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have any to give away for free. Otherwise, I would have given them. So I gave out Rick Riordan, uh, uh, Percy Jackson, and other uh, books, Chronicles of Cain, and so forth. Uh, but anyway, uh, after several adventures, they were able to uh, um, to rescue the three sisters, uh, to escort them to the city, and to get the three new graces, which were returned uh, to the uh, time ship. Uh, and then they had to get the crystal from the sorcerer because our crystal had been damaged. Um, and uh, basically, this was a time when there was a revolt in Atlantis, and uh, some of the water gods had challenged Poseidon's right to rule. So, you know, they were able to uh, travel uh, astrally. So, you know, we, we were caught in the middle of an Atlantean war on Venus with our time crystal. Uh, shattered and uh, only one on Venus that we can get our hands on. So the adventures continued throughout the summer until they finally got the the crystal. Uh, and then uh, we revealed to them, you know, that uh, um, you know we are the the gods uh, of their myths that we're different from what they know. Yet our eyes are upon them. That uh, we encourage them to be heroes, to find things in the world they need fixing, and to go fix them. Uh, and uh, to work very hard um, and to be remembered and to do great things and to leave behind a living legacy. So that was the story all in all. And uh, so that wrapped up. And uh, we're on our way back to the uh, Starfleet, and uh, our uh, ship was attacked again because uh, the timeline had changed a bit. So uh, we're in modern times now. And uh, right. we're trying to repair the uh, ship so we can continue to the uh, uh, 2300s where we're meeting with Starfleet and uh, return to our people. So that's where the story is now. Uh, we have in November and December, uh, th that story is going to play itself out in the library. And then in January, we are um, going to be at the time of the Argo, you know, to start the Argonaut adventure. Uh, and then that'll continue right. for a few years. And uh, the adventure that we had started on Facebook, we're going to return to that and close it because that ties into uh, um, what will be starting in January. So I'm going to be reactivating that so we can wrap that up and include that story in with the story that they're going to be telling uh, through the library role-playing games. Good, good. So Well done all around. I guess your creative task will be to uh, write a short tale of uh, Zimbaka's, um, you know, uh, his impressions of what is going on and his ideas. And eventually, like in the old days with the Starfleet groups, uh, we'll eventually get this whipped up into a story and we'll, they'll put the story out. Oh, that'll be wonderful. Yeah, so I'll be, I'll be certainly glad to get on that now that things are quieting down. <laughs> yes. And uh, your sister, that was an excellent recommendation that you made. She was uh, very smart, uh, very creative, very informative. Uh, 
uh, and very involved in a lot of different things. And she had very refreshing uh, uh, opinions on spirituality and the role of uh, uh, one's faith and our responsibility to the world. So it's a very heroic path you tread in that regard as well. That she is. She's really smart, and she does. She knows very well what she does, and she writes some wonderful stories. I guess she does, and uh, she gave us uh, some glimpses into the future, and it sounds very exciting. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Now, we are starting something uh, new or something old we're reviving as well as the uh, role-playing game on Facebook um, is uh, Mythic Atlantis. And uh, um, Mythic Atlantis, uh, the last time we did anything really significant, it was an event uh, here in Tenafly. And uh, then we had a series of Mythic Atlantic workshops at uh, one of our local libraries. We had a special at another library uh, so there was a lot of information on Atlantis. Um, and uh, I had said back then that the next uh, phase will be to uh, um, find a cause and attach ourselves to the cause. And the cause that uh, um, has emerged, which makes sense, is uh, clean water. Uh, our clean water is uh, uh, imperiled and we need it to live on this planet. And uh Several things are happening that's imperiling our, our clean water even more um, with uh, the revocation of several uh, um, parts of the Clean Water Act. So that's what we're going to focus on. Uh, um, our, our mission here uh, is part of uh, Mythic Atlantis. And I'd like to invite uh, you and Simbaka uh, to be part of that adventure. We would be glad to. I've seen your posts about that, and it's it's really important that we get, you know, our clean water back in action. I mean, it's it's been tragic that's all been happening in Flint, Michigan, especially with yes. the, with the fact that they're they're struggling still to this very day about getting clean water. I mean, and water's important it, to our our bodies. I I know we're mostly composed of water, and uh, here in. Uh, uh, New Jersey, several of our lakes have become uh, uh, tainted with that uh, algae that's the killer algae like they have in Florida with the red uh, tide and, and things like that. So uh, uh, kids and pets have gotten sick by playing in the water and some have died. So uh, the whole problem with uh, clean water is uh, becoming more and more urgent. And uh, then uh, um, there have been uh, rumors that I've heard from many sources that uh, some municipalities have been using water from fracking, which is radioactive, to clean roads. <laughs> so that's, that's not good either. Yeah, we've had issues here for like some of the lakes in North Dakota and Minnesota where when people go boating, they don't properly clean the boats off. And so they can sometimes oh. transplant some of that algae over. And then, of course, the other major issue was that, of course, that pipeline that that goes through North Dakota and South Dakota. They just recently had one part of that pipeline leak. I mean, it was in a field, but it's a scary thought of some of that would seep into one of you know lakes or rivers that come that go through the states. Yeah, that, that is. Uh, what is already uh, has there any new progress been made on that? 
Nothing, nothing recently. I mean, just like I think it was like a, like about a week or so ago, there was a major leak that happened in South Dakota, I believe. They've got the they've got the it they they had it leaked and they haven't come out. They've still haven't investigated why that part of the pipeline leaked, and it was just a big black blotch in a field. It's so it's it's so bad. that's a, a challenge too. Um, I believe yes. that. Uh, and Brian have joined us, so let me uh, include them on the conversation. Greetings and welcome, Mr. and Mrs. Chandler. How are you? All right. <laughs> Glad Greetings, to hear. Guys. I'm here with Thomas, and uh, we are. Uh, uh, I I told them I told Thomas that you had written him into your uh, report, uh, but I don't have my glasses here, so I was having a difficult time locating the the paragraph. Uh, so I could read it to him. Uh, but since you're here, why don't you, uh, I guess, uh, t- tell Thomas how you included him in your report. I shared uh, what the adventures at the library were like, and I'll do so quickly again. So we'll spend the next few minutes catching up. Uh, Tina, the floor is yours. Oh, well, uh, thank you. <laughs> Sorry to be so late getting on here. Yes, okay. <laughs> Uh, basically, I started, I couldn't, I know Thomas and I had talked before, but I couldn't remember what he had told me since my mind is all full of feathers these days. Um, I've written to, to the point where the Odyssey was um, in station, and Brian had gone over for a, or Admiral Chandler had gone over for a report from the station, and I'm reading a report on um Sambaka's planet, and I sent my my character had sent a couple of emissaries to the planet, and since the king was not on planet, so that they were being entertained and talked to by the twin sons of the king. And next thing I know, here comes Admiral Chandler. He's stopping in the office. He's not happy. Um, apparently, uh, the station manager. Um, had to talk to him about what happened in the past with his service to Enterprise about James Kirk and the nasty episodes of temporal foul that he did. And especially when it came to, um, and it just went out of my mind, I'm so sorry, and that he had met someone who was claiming to be, especially when it came to Apollo, and he had met another one of the Olympian gods by the name of Hercules. And Kim Sabaka and Hercules was there on the station, and we were going to be meeting him later, this after, later in the evening on a official, since Starfleet all, is all about official greetings and welcomings and things like that. And... Chandler's all about business. He's like, I don't have time to waste on this nonsense. Why about Apollo? This didn't make me comfortable when we met him the first time, and now I'm meeting another one of these guys. I bet he's just as arrogant as Q and everything else. And he's recounting about the the legend that he's are. He's more down to earth. He's more the people person. But didn't know exactly. But that we were going to be going to look for Apollo, and he, I, I Apollo can't be found. He dispersed himself on the winds or something like that. So that's, that's where I ended up. 
that that is a great summary. Let me quickly summarize uh, um, what happened during the role playing games. Uh, in the role playing games at the library, which is part of the library summer reading program, because they had an outer space uh, theme, um, I introduced the Burroughs-ish type of uh, Venus. Um, and that's Edgar Rice Burroughs, his, his concept, which was what, what the scientific ideas were at the time, is that Venus was a lush jungle planet uh, that was covered with heavy uh, clouds. So that's what the Venus was. And uh, uh, we had to leave uh, the Starfleet Conference. We left some diplomats there. And with you guys, uh, we used a crystal of Kronos uh, to go back to uh, the past during the Age of uh, Heroes. And uh, there we found several individuals uh, whose destiny it was to uh, be heroes, or they could be heroes, and we allowed them an opportunity to be heroes. And they didn't make it to the myths, but here was an opportunity to at least be heroic uh, for their community. Uh, so through dreams and visions and uh, all sorts of tests, uh, we qualified them to come with us to bring back the three graces of the heroic age back to Venus and then to oh. get the next three graces and bring them back to, um, to bronze age uh, earth. So um, there were all sorts of plot things the kids didn't know about as to why we couldn't personally do this, but we had to do it through intermediaries um, and we got there and it was pretty easy. Uh, our Kronos uh, crystal had gotten stressed so there was another one in some ruins on Venus that are not that far from where they were delivering the, uh, the graces. So we uh, sent them down there, and they were to pick up the crystal and go deliver the graces, pick up the new graces, return to the ruins, and they would be back on the, the ship. And uh, um, so that was the plan. Uh, of course, we did not know that, uh, during that time Atlantis was at the height of its uh, sorcerer science, and there was a civil war um, going on uh, on that particular timeline, and Poseidon's reign was being threatened by Triton and several other uh, water gods. Uh, so one of their sorcerers, Betrachus, uh, was trying to get this for them on Venus uh, astrally, and he influenced a lot of minions on Venus, so they kidnapped the uh, three graces, and they had the time crystal. So the adventures were pretty much uh, uh, rescuing the graces, dropping them up in the city, uh, returning them to the ship, uh, and then um, you know getting the crystal from the sorcerer and all sorts of Atlantean stuff going on in between. So to make a very long story short, because this went on through the whole summer into the fall, um, you know, they accomplished that and then they weren't on their way back. We were on our way back to um, the future um, from now uh, to meet with Starfleet again and continue that whole negotiation when we were attacked. So it seemed that something different had happened in this timeline and the Atlanteans, uh, uh, who were the rebels, had emerged uh, triumphant. So our vessels were um, damaged. And uh, we're, we're around the time of present-day Earth. So how this is playing out in the role-playing game in the library is it's the, the, the Olympians are going to proceed the superheroes because uh, that's what they're viewed as in these days. And while we're here, uh, we're going to notice the problem with the waters. 
and it's going to tie into the Atlantis uh, plot line. And we're going to pick uh, collectively our first uh, charity type of thing or our first uh, uh, activism type of thing, and that'll be the clean water because we need clean water. And then in January, we'll continue with the clean order here because that's, that's what we are do- here doing here, uh, one of the things. And then um, the story will continue back to ancient Greece, and the um, uh, Argonautica expedition is going to begin again. And last time I ran, it ran for like two and a half years, so that's what I'll be doing for the next two and a half years, taking another Argonaut voyage with kids through libraries. So anyway, now you're caught up on my end as well. And Zimbaka, why don't you uh, uh, catch them up? And this way we're all on the same page. Yes, yes. So basically, from my perspective of it all, was the fact that I kind of went by a little program, little program that I do in the hall deck of a little plucky little lawyer solving murder mysteries, and went to the scene of the crime where Paul last was last at, where Kirk and the crew was at. And where Paula was once at, and see if there was any sort of evidence. And with any sort of clues I could find, then it was the, to do the calculations of in case we would have to go back to ancient Greece, which that was eventually done. It looks like now the fact that for a present day, I mean, it would be only best to do a little diplomacy to this present day Earth and find out where the change might have happened, if none else. That sounds awesome. So our next step becomes very clear. And uh, Brian is among us as well. Greetings, Brian. Hi, sorry I'm late. It's okay. Uh, life happens. Um, so our next step, um, Tina and Brian wrote their report. So what I shared and what you shared, uh, Thomas, we'll write it out now. And on Monday, we have the regular Starfleet show, and, and then we also have the Scholars from the Edge of Time. Uh, so those are also people that are on the ship or in the adventure. So I'm going to catch them up as well um, as part of their shows, and then they'll write something. And then when I receive all the material, and I'll write out what I told you happened on uh, Venus and so forth and on the way back, then we have a big chunk of writing, and then it's just basically a matter of you know getting rid of the inconsistencies and having uh, a chapter, uh, or actually this would be like three chapters altogether, because um, it's like three different settings: the the Starfleet in the modern day in terms of the future, um, the ancient uh, uh, Greece and uh, Venus during the Age of Heroes, uh, and then uh, uh, being damaged on the return trip. Um, over present day Earth, so that's kind of like where we are in the story. Understood. Now I'll get and I'll get my report written up as soon as I can. We'll we'll do it by next month, and this way by by next time we speak, because this, this is going to be your, uh, your regular uh, segment from this point on. We'll meet monthly. Right. Okay. We won't be on vacation anymore. So this will be your show, and because it's your show too, if you have things you want to announce, if you have people you'd like to talk to um, as guests, just communicate with me ahead of time. We'll coordinate it. Will do. Okay, okay awesome. Um, so what do you guys think about the uh, clean water being like our collective uh, mission in the present day? You still there? Yes. Still. Oh, you're breaking up real bad on my part. 
Yeah, I can't yeah, hear you, either, Brian. That's better, Hang but on. you're still fucking up. Hey. Okay. How's that? Is that any better? That's better, yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that sounds good to me. So. <laughs> okay. So Tina and Brian, we have yes, and uh, um, Thomas had already said yes uh, earlier. So okay, that's our mission in the the present day uh, to clean uh, the water because water is very important. Um, and uh, so th- that that'll be a fun thing uh, to do as well. And uh, um, I have the Mythic Atlantis uh, um, Facebook group. It's like 400-something people there. Um, are all of you in that? I know Thomas is. I don't. I thought I joined a while back, but I'll have to check again. Okay, I can check after the show. If you're not in there, I'll invite you in. Okay. And I've changed yeah, that group. I've re-envisioned it. It still has information on uh, um, what do you call all things Atlantean from uh, metaphysics to mythology to um, mermaids to uh, Stargate Atlantis. <laughs> Anything Atlantis will be there. But then the new focus is going to be on activism. And I've already added some resources in there uh, so that everybody has uh, good information and uh, I'm working with Astrid. She's an, uh, an Argonaut, but not, a, not in the science fiction part of it. Um, and she's more in the political and educational part of it. So she's been getting resources, you know, things that people can do, like petitions they could sign or what they can call the representative and say, and keeping us aware of, uh, you know, what's actually going on. Uh, so that's all going to be in that group also. And for people who don't get on Facebook, and there are a surprising number of people I'm discovering who don't want to go on Facebook for one reason or, or another, um, I'm going to start a, uh, um, a Gmail newsletter, and I'll add everybody's uh, uh, emails to that when I'm ready to launch it. And the same information that's on uh, um, Facebook, but mo- with more of a focus on the activism, uh, it'll be in the newsletter. Okay. Okay. That works. And feel free to add whatever you'd like uh, to the Facebook group and the newsletter. In this way, uh, um, you know, uh, feel free to use that resource. We're all doing this uh, together. Um, And alas, we only have a few more minutes uh, in our show. So we'll just go down the list. And if you could share what you're doing or what you'd like to draw attention to or how people can get in contact with you and get involved with what you're doing, we'll use that time for that. And we will start with Lionheart or Lion Lord or Simbaka or Thomas Punton, an amazing individual <laughs> regardless of what you call him. Rolls by another name. Um, yeah, you can find me on Facebook as Thomas Punton, of course, and then and then Simbaka or Ficken as well as also as, as a separate Facebook page as well. I am part of the Lake Agassiz Pagan community, which can be found on Facebook. I am also a member of the Order of the Order of the Spiral Tree Tradition. If you look up spiraltreetradition.org, I know we're planning for the LAPC, we're planning to get uh, a Yule event here in the Fargo-Moorhead area here on December the 7th. And I know and keep in touch with the Spiral Tree Tradition. We'll have some open events here soon enough down the road here eventually. Um, those are the major there's major means of contact with me and and be sure to add me on the Simbakura Ficken page. Pylandia is always welcome to anyone who wants to communicate. Incredibly awesome. Thank you. And uh Tina. Oh, well compared to Thomas, I'm just kinda of boring. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, you can find me on Facebook on the Queen. Your role is Derby <laughs> Queen. That is a, one of the most exciting things to be, and that's uh, part of who you are. You are not boring. <laughs> You're an exciting cat. So, yeah. Okay. Um, well, anyway, you can find me on Facebook, Tina Chandler. Um, also, um, Hercules, uh, if I can get the information for this, um, here in Florida, and especially in the Lee County area and South Florida area, there is an organization called the South Florida South Florida Water Warriors. Oh, and awesome. Since, yes. Um, during the dry season, uh, let me go, if I can, just a little bit of background there. Um, when it was the dry season and water levels were really dropping, especially in Lake Okeechobee, they released some water. They released water uh, from the levee, from levees and, and into the lake and into the estuaries and things like that. But the water is poisoned. It's been poisoned by years of big sugar here, dumping their insecticides into the lake, and it's oh. killing off a lot of the estuaries and poisoning the swamp areas around the area. And that's big concern regarding to our water resources here in Florida um, because of our swamp lands and our estuaries. It's killing off the estuary birds and it's even killing off our alligators and those are really near and dear to us. Not those, killing yeah. off those darn pythons. That's tragic. And, and wow. um, this group came up to um, and also we've been seeing a lot of more of the um, red tide and these algae blooms that literally killing off oxygen-bearing plants and fish and things like that. And it doesn't smell too good around here, really, but uh, <laughs> because of all one the of dead fish. Hosts, but... uh, one of our hosts got sick on the beach in Florida. He, he got that, uh, he and his wife uh, both got that, uh, the algae thing, the, the red tide. Yeah, and now we have something similar in New Jersey Lake, so uh, it, it's been getting pretty bad up here as well. So, um, so the water warriors were formed to make our, hopefully, make our politicians uh, aware that this is happening, and we just can't keep poisoning our environment, our atmosphere, and and especially our water like this. If we don't have we don't have water, you know, how how can we live? How can we exist? So if I can find that information, I'll send it up to you, too. Thank you. We can share the information on Facebook. And um, if you'd like, I can interview them or you can interview them. And let's get them on the show. And let's uh, – um, I have a Mythic Atlantis show that I'm starting, too, just to focus on this. So uh, it could either be during this segment here or on one of the Mythic Atlantis uh, segments so we can create a special. Uh, but, yeah, okay. let's let's raise people's awareness. Okay. And uh, Brian. Well, compared to everybody else, I'm really boring. <laughs> oh, come um, on. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, if you want to with the, uh, the Star Trek group, we're on Facebook, obviously, at Star Trek Odyssey. Um, if you want to get in with my comic book store, that's under Comics Cards and Stuff or Fort Myers Comics, one of the two. And you can find me pretty much haunting either page. So that's kind of my contact info. Um, well, thank you. And uh, I want to interview on one of the vocational things because owning a comic shop is like one of the coolest things uh, most of the people I know can imagine. Um, and so uh, Whitaker, we'll talk to you about that on one of those shows. And unfortunately, we only have like 30 seconds, so I'm going to close the show. 
thank you again, and thanks to all our listeners. You guys are awesome, and I look forward to all our future adventures, both fictive and factual. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. See you soon. Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world. One filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.